When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. And I'm thankful for all of you, especially Harry. Thanks for the shout out today on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at DVD Peters or interact with me. I'll follow you back if you listen to this podcast. Good grief. Yeah, of course. Uh, or anywhere else uh, you find me on the World Wide Web. I'd love to connect and hear what you think and maybe get some of your work into the podcast. We can do an interview or something like that. Um, but it took me so long to get this out today. I'm sorry. It's the Feast of Annunciation and it's been busy, but good. Sometimes life is good and not busy. Sometimes life is busy and not good. And the best times in life are when there's busyness and goodness all happening at once. And maybe it's not really busyness. It's just good. The dating of the Feast of the Annunciation or the announcement of the virgin birth to Mary by the angel Gabriel happens today. It's a big day to celebrate. Even though it's a Friday in Lent, um, it's a day of rejoicing and, and not sorrow. Because this is a really big deal in the world. A big deal in Mary's world, for sure, and a big deal in ours, even today. It's dated today, I think, mainly just because it's nine months or ten months before December 24th. You can do the math on that. I don't know if you're the kind of person that does math when you find out about birth announcements and pregnancy announcements, um, but apparently the church did and came up with a date for this event. Um, it happens in Nazareth, a small town that's still there today, an Arab Christian town with the Church of the Annunciation in, um, in Israel. And this feast commemorates a moment of very, a very small moment when we think about the major events of human history, but a very large moment in a young woman's life, Mary. Mary is often portrayed as a teenage girl. Um, I'm not sure why this happened. Um, maybe it's the fact that um, we like to think of people in the olden days getting married really young, and certainly that did happen. Um, the age of, of marriage being somewhere around 12 or 14 at that time for minimum age of marriage. The Christian church, um, a thousand, thousand years later or so, established 14 for girls as the age of consent for marriage. Um, and even in our country today, in some states, it's really low. The age is still around 16 in some states, sometimes with parental consent. This is still an issue for people around the world, being married to someone that you don't know, much older than you, um, is, a, is one of the roots of domestic violence and the perpetuation of it in the world. And so we take all that and we superimpose it on Mary's story, maybe be for all kinds of reasons, I'm not sure why. She is a young woman, um, that is said in the story and the prophecy. Um, but, um, there's no reason to believe that she is a teenager. Um, and there's no reason to believe that Joseph is 80 years old. These are legends and stories that were promulgated 
long after Jesus' resurrection, long after the Christian church was established, by men who didn't get married and didn't think it was a very good idea, um, by monks and others. Um, So our squeamishness about sex is not Mary's squeamishness about that, or Joseph's, or Gabriel, or even God's. That's our issue. Um, So I don't know how you picture Mary there in her room in Nazareth, minding her own business, um, when this angel appears to her. And there's an exchange of dialogue between her and the angel, which is always kind of weird to talk to angels. We are in a church named after a woman who talked to angels, who had angels talk to her. Uh, So this shouldn't be that big of a deal for us. And yet, when we think about it, it still is. The angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I'm bringing you good news. Now, when you're not married, and she's engaged at this time to Joseph, when you're not married, getting an announcement of a pregnancy is not always good news. Um, that's, that's what the Gabriel says to her, though. This is good news. It's good news because th- she is being invited to participate in the bigger story of salvation. Um, and this invitation um, to participate in that Comes to, um, comes to a point in this moment where she gets a choice in the matter. The angel, I think I was reading the part where Gabriel appears to Elizabeth. Gabriel's been busy in Luke chapter 1. He's already appeared to Elizabeth. And I was, I, my eyes glanced to that and I ended up misquoting him uh, when it comes to Mary. He says, Hail Mary, full of grace, Well, in the NRSV translated, greetings, favored one. What a weird way to talk. (laughs) I don't know how to really translate this into modern English. Hello, honored woman. Greetings, the subject of God's grace or something like that. Not sure how to best translate it. The Lord is with you. Um, She is the favored one, someone who's found grace. It reminds me of the story of Noah. When the earth was full of violence and selfishness and all sorts of problems and and terror. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it says. And there's Mary living in an occupied land under the Roman governorship. She is a subject of the Roman Empire, but not a Roman citizen. So she is someone that is vulnerable on the very margins of society just for the fact that she's born there. And so to say that she is full of grace or that she's lucky or God has been awesome for her um, may be a hard thing to hear. But this is the announcement of the angel because God's grace is not dependent on our present circumstances. It's dependent on God and God's goodness towards us. And Mary um, has this opportunity. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. He'll be great. There's all these prophecies. He'll sit on the throne of his ancestor, David. And then Mary asks the the most practical question in the world. Here we see Mary, the real person, Mary, behind all the statues and all the paintings and all the saying something as simple as, how can this be since I am a virgin? How can this be? 
Um, and the way she phrases it is, how can this be as I do not know a man? The Hebrew word yada for know, to know someone, is a euphemism for sexual relations. Um, it's used all the way back in the story of Genesis, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Um, it is, it is um, a euphemism even for, for sexual relationships today um, in English. And yet, this is what she says. How can this be since I have not known a man? Uh, Mary tells us about the virgin birth in her own words. She doesn't um, try to come up with fanciful theological justifications or anything like that. She's very practical about this. Um, When we say in the creed, he was born of the Virgin Mary, we are saying something profound about a shift and change in the nature of the universe itself. This has been one of the hardest things for modern Christians to believe, the virgin birth. It's been laughed at, mocked. Um, The way these men have mocked uh, women down through history who say, I'm not sure why I'm pregnant, or whatever they say, men have mocked women for their seemingly lack of knowledge about how and when their pregnancies occurred. And I think it's projected on Mary, that kind of misogyny, that kind of hatred of women is projected on Mary. Mary is the largest projection screen in the universe. And we take all of our issues and put them on her. The fact that she's a teenager um, or that she has to be a teenager. The fact that um, she really doesn't know what she's talking about here. So when people struggle with the virgin birth, they're struggling with Mary's own testimony, with Mary's own story, with her own words in the story, Um, that she is saying, I'm a virgin. I have not had sex. I cannot get pregnant. I cannot be pregnant. Um, The part of the argument on the virgin birth hinged on the, the story of the prophecy in Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And it's true. In the Hebrew, the word Alma, the word for virgin or young woman of marriageable age, is not necessarily someone who's never had sexual relationships with a man. It's not necessarily meaning that. It means young woman of marriageable age. The Greek word that that Hebrew word is translated, Parthenos, where we get the Parthenon, Um, in Greece today, in Athens, um, a a a temple dedicated to the virgin, a virgin goddess before Christianity. Um, That word virgin is more technically someone who has not had sexual relationships with a man and can't be pregnant. Um, And that is the word that the New Testament uses to describe Mary's state of being. So to say that the Bible doesn't teach the virgin birth is also ridiculous. Mary talks about the virgin birth herself, Um, And even the Old Testament does as well. Um, So there are other reasons why people don't believe the virgin birth, but they're not from the Bible. And I think people should maybe think about what those reasons are. Maybe it's hard to believe in miracles in the 20th and 21st century. Maybe it's easier in the 21st century to believe in miracles than it was in the 20th century. The virgin birth was hard to believe in the first couple centuries of the church as well. Early legends grew up that Mary was impregnated by a Roman soldier, probably sexually assaulted or maybe had an affair 
by a soldier named Pantera, the panther. Um, and this legend uh, has perpetuated itself into novels and all sorts of other places. Um, to explain this miraculous birth, it, there has to be a man involved. Isn't that saying something about our male sense of what we need to see in a story? There has to be a man involved. Um, all of these projections on the screen of Mary say a lot about ourselves and not so much about Mary, what she herself says about the story. The angel tells her that this will be a work of God, of the Holy Spirit, that will overshadow her, just as the waters of creation were hovered over by the Spirit in Genesis. So Mary will become the new earth, the new mother of the earth, the new Eve. God will hover over her and overshadow her um, with with this cloud of God's mystery and presence, just as God did in the creation story. And therefore, the child that will be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. So even the angel says that this birth is really different. This pregnancy is really different from every other one in the history of humanity. And so this is the announcement. And the, the story could have ended there. And if it was written today, it probably would. If we were writing a story about a virgin birth from a long time ago, we would probably end the story right there, um, that Mary really didn't have any choice. The stories in Greek mythology about virgin births and gods coming down from heaven and raping and sexually assaulting young women and then giving birth to the demigods. These are all stories in Greek mythology and Roman mythology and other mythologies of the world that seem to, um, that seem to color our um, understanding of Mary. And yet there's more to the story. The more to the story part is when Mary responds, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And that was all she needed to say. The angel departs at that moment. Mary says yes to God. Mary says yes to God. Um, she gives her consent to this process. The story would not be a holy story if that were not true. When it comes to Mary's own bodily integrity, a pregnancy happening in her own womb, in her own body, her consent is part of the story. And this is something that I think modern and ancient audiences need to take note of, that this is an integral part of the story, that God does not work without our consent in our own bodies, that this miracle of the incarnation, of the annunciation, the announcement, the pregnancy and all that follows from it is because Mary said yes. And we can come up with alternate scenarios of what God would have done if she had said no, but she said yes. And that yes to God is is a yes that gives us an example of how to say yes to God. We live in a world that's working on our boundaries and how to say no, and that's important. It's important to do that stuff. But there's also a moment where we say yes, even though the yes means suffering, even though the yes means difficulty and hardship, even though the yes means to be misunderstood by every single person to ever live, which is true for Mary, just about every person. The virgin birth was not any easier to believe in the first century than it is today. It is still something 
that we marvel at, that we wonder about, that we contemplate the mystery, not only of what God does to Mary and in Mary, but what Mary says to God, this yes. So if you've said yes to God at one point in your life, say yes again. Or I invite you to say yes again. It's your choice. It's your yes. God is waiting. God is listening. God knows that you're struggling. God knows that saying yes means an invitation to a life of sacrifice, a life of hardship, but also a life of knowing Jesus, a life of feeling that joy of seeing Jesus, of giving birth to Jesus in this world, of announcing the same good news that Mary announced to the world, that God is lifting up the lowly and pushing down the powerful and arrogant, that God is doing a new work in the world through Jesus Christ. When you say yes to God, you're saying yes to that process in the world. Amen. The Collect for the Annunciation. We beseech thee, O Lord, pour thy grace into our hearts, that we who have known the incarnation of thy Son, Jesus Christ, announced by an angel to the Virgin Mary, may by his cross and passion be brought into the glory of his resurrection, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.